we will first uh, start off with Dr. David Lohr, who is Professor of Pediatrics, Division of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry and Psychology at the University of Louisville School of Medicine and Medical Director of Department of Community-Based Services, Kentucky Cabinet for Health and Family Services. Uh, Dr. Lohr will be describing, uh, will discuss the de-prescribing of psychotropic medications. Uh, thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, we're going to talk about de-prescribing. It's a concept that uh, I've been working on for uh, several years. Uh, studied the rates of psychotropic medications in children. Uh, I've worked in uh, the Autism Center at the University of Louisville and uh, have uh, been progressively looking at uh, the use of these medications now throughout the state. And so we have a team of people that have made this uh, project happen, and I've got them listed here. Um, we're from the University of Louisville School of Medicine, Norton Children's Research Institute, and uh, I'm with the Kentucky Department of Community-Based Services. Uh, and uh, our disclosures are, uh, are here. I will be talking about brand names and non-FDA-approved indications due to this talk. So we hope you gain knowledge about the concept of deprescribing of psychotropic medications. It's a uh, concept that's known in the geriatric population, but is uh, making some roads in the pediatric population and adults. Um, I hope you'll understand the process of how a deprescribing intervention takes place and feel a sense of the potential risk and benefits in this population. Uh, we do know that children are treated with psychotropic polypharmacy. Uh, certainly you see this uh, in autism, intellectual disabilities, and uh, certainly in the children in foster care population that I work with now. And deprescribing addresses a more rational approach to this. So I feel like it's a uh, common sense approach. Uh, I will say that uh, we need evidence, and I hope that this talk can lead to some evidence-based practices. Uh, in research developing. So when you think about children and medication, I think it's important to realize that when you're in the office with a child, it's not just you, the child, and the family, but it's the people and their families. It's where they come from. It's their, we represent mental health services a great deal, but they may have involvement with a lot of different services, social services, the school districts, uh, parents, work, all these things contribute to outcome, quality of life, and longevity. So actually what takes place in the office sometimes doesn't have, may not have a lot of impact on the longevity and quality of life, things that we're really looking for. And so the systems of care approach is very important as a philosophy to complement de-prescribing. A little bit of background, and I chose autism as an example of the population that we're working with. So we know that polypharmacy is common in autism, uh, children with autism. And this study looked at rates from 2014 to through 2019 and pretty consistent throughout uh, this time period. 40% uh, of children uh, in this population with medication were prescribed one drug, and uh, use of true more drugs range between 28.6 and 31.5 percent, but uh, you see higher numbers of drugs um, at about uh, 10 percent, and uh, gives you a sense these are teenagers. Uh, mean age is 14.5, uh, 
And that gives you a background. So polypharmacy is common in children with developmental disabilities. I feel like they're a vulnerable population. And you know that when you are addressing irritability or problem behaviors in this population, you can borrow again from literature on autism, uh, this algorithm that was published in pediatrics uh, in 2016. It guides you in your evaluation and assessment of these kids. And um, if, if I just can walk you through this, okay, so you're hearing a child with irritability, problem behavior. Uh, first, you look at safety. Uh, you look at their history of functioning before and after this onset, kind of the change, what's different. Um, with the family, you prioritize behaviors that you wanna focus on. What are the most troubling things? And importantly, you look at all potential contributors to irritability and problem behavior. And I want to focus in on this a little bit more uh, because it's important to, as you start to deprescribe, uh, you're going to be thinking about the course of illnesses. Uh, so you want to think about are there any ongoing medical problems like uh, constipation or insomnia? Um, what's the function of the behavior? That's, a, that's an important thing we should all be familiar with. What is the function of the, the aggression? Um, is it, does it relate to communication uh, difficulties? Uh, is it uh, sensory? You know, we always have to remember the child is part of the family, who's part of the environment. What are the stressors affecting this system? Um, do, is there any inadvertent reinforcement uh, of this behavior? Um, for example, if a child is having problem behavior, would a parent or, or a caregiver reward the child with food to help them stop the behavior? And finally, are there any co-occurring uh, psychiatric conditions? So these, these things guide us in thinking about the use of medications in this population, the development of a treatment plan, uh, but also it guides you with deep prescribing. So I mentioned deep prescribing a little bit. What is it? Um, so it's a structured approach to treatment. We're trained very well in our background with how to start medications, um, informed consent, risk benefits, but we're, we don't get much training on how to stop them. So it's really left to everyone's own clinical experience, wisdom, uh, the art of medicine to understand how do we stop medications? So deep prescribing is a systematic approach. It's a process that takes place. I argue that it should take place with every every parent or child interaction with a provider because it's, it's a discussion, it's a consideration. If you go through this process of considering these factors, then you've conducted a deprescribing assessment. It, it's not linked to stopping a medication. So I say it again, deprescribing is not the same as stopping medication, but it's, it's a process that you ask yourself, what's the risk and benefit of each medication? Um, is the child on a minimum number of medications at the right or minimum effective dose? Um, medications are studied for periods of time. We don't know often what the long-term effects of some medications are. If you're treating a depression, there's a time to this. Um, just like a, uh, a sore throat, you don't continue antibiotics forever. The same thing with medications for antidepression, for depression or anxiety, uh, even antipsychotics for irritability, things change. And it, importantly, it involves youth and family voice. So that borrows from the systems of care approach that you consider 
the values of the family and the youth, and you work to meet needs together. So a little bit about our deprescribing project. Our, our unit uh, received funding for this a couple of years ago. And in addition to tracking updates on medication rates, we provided awareness and training on deprescribing throughout the state and nationally. And we developed these materials, some of which I'll share with you today, but they're available by the use of this website and the QR code, freely available. We wanted to make these available for broad uptake and we distribute them as much as possible. So this presentation is an ongoing effort with us. If you look at the website, you'll see some PDF materials similar to this. These are short tip sheets to providers with a QR code that introduces deprescribing, tells us what it is, and talks about why we might want to do this. And it asks you to, as a provider, when should you consider deprescribing? When does this make sense? And again, you'll hear examples of this, but uh, if things are better, or if the child happens to be on a lot of medications, um, any child under the age of six on medications, we should be thinking about this. Certainly if the family or youth ask about this, because part of the effort also is educating them on the, the process of deprescribing and understanding also uh, the evidence to support or to support discontinuation. And then there's um, general factors on how to deprescribe guidelines and some more specific guidelines medication related. So this presentation Typically, I've given as part of a workshop where, where you have a chance to present a case, break out, go to your small groups, work on this and come back and present out. Um, due to the nature of the time, I'm going to guide you through a facilitated case. So in your mind, be thinking about this. So this is a real case that, um, that I monitor now as medical director for our child welfare department. But this is a five-year-old uh, male with a history of hyperactivity, aggression, and tantrums. Uh, this is a long history since the age of one. He's got some concerning developmental factors, a lack of social engagement in preschool. He fixates on cars. Uh, he is uh, disturbed by loud noises, things like flashing red lights. He has trouble with sleeping. Uh, developmental history is notable for a possible history of exposure to drugs. We don't know for sure. Um, his mother did admit to um, drug use, but we just don't know how much during pregnancy. And the child has uh, an educational plan, which has identified some fine motor issues and sensory issues and a cause for occupational therapy. The child entered the child welfare system two years ago uh, due to some reports of neglect and mother substance use. Uh, mother is involved in substance use treatment programs that specialize in young parenting mothers to try to help them maintain and keep sobriety and return to family. So uh, the long-term goal is still return to parent. But the diagnoses so far are ADHD, possible autism disorder, and history of neglect. And uh, these are the medications this child is on. Extended release methylphenidate, 20 milligrams a day. Guanfacine extended release, three milligrams per day. 
Carnitine 0.2 milligrams at night, trazodone 50 milligrams at night, and risperidone 0.5 milligrams in BID. So we just made a referral to a developmental behavioral pediatrician who's going to be evaluating this child. And so you can imagine what would you do if you're faced with this child, a child in foster care. And so to take the deprescribing approach, uh, you would talk with the family about each of the medications that are being taken, try to understand who prescribed it, uh, what, are, what are each of these medications for, think to yourself, how long do they, does a child need to take it? So when you do this, you consider what, are, what is the natural course of the condition, what are the benefits and risk, how could this be helping or causing side effects? So this is a very similar process to informed consent, but it's on an ongoing uh, basis. So I would typically send you out and ask you, okay, what more information do you want? Um, what do you need to know to help make this decision? Um, and I might expect you to consider things like a sleep study, a formal evaluation for autism, a psychological evaluation. Those would all be appropriate things. But think to yourself also, what is the, uh, what is the uh, condition being treated here? What's the primary condition? And as you look at each of those five medications, uh, you can use this deprescribing medication history tool that guides you through each of those questions. Uh, it's available. You can use it. You can use it verbally or you can use it in your head if you'd like to. But asking yourself in each of these situations, where do, do these medications, where do each of them fit in? What's the course of illness and the role within the overall care? And as I say, it's an ongoing process each visit perhaps every so often to take care of this. So this introduces you to do prescribing. So you wanna be thinking about what are concerning medication practices. And you may know this, but this is from the state of Illinois that actually has a consent process for children in foster care. If you're a provider in the state of Illinois, uh, you have to call a number and you present a history with medications and you have someone on the other end who evaluates you based on certain guidelines. My sense and what I hear about in California, where many of you are from, is that if you're prescribing a medication for a child in child welfare in the state of California, you actually have to go through a judicial review. So we don't have anything like that in Kentucky and in many states across this union. But think about the concerning medication practices that may be here. So one is too many. And I consider this to be four or more medications prescribed to any child, uh, three or more to a younger child. I wouldn't apply this to stimulants, long and short acting, so you get the idea. Any prescription of a medication to a child less than four years of age is a concern because I feel like there are a lot of non-medication factors that you can operate and try to prevent uh, deterioration, like working with parents. If you see a medication that's similar type, we saw that in the case of JT, uh, two alpha agonist, and at least two medications possibly for sleep. If you get a history or you find yourself in a situation where you're making changes of medication where you don't have a good sense of this, and we've all been there, so it's no, it's no fault of anybody if you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you're getting into a uh, progressively uh, difficult situation, or if you don't have a clear understanding of the diagnosis, 
that's a concerning medication pattern. Or if you look at the medications and you say to yourself, hmm, I'm not really treating uh, effectively with high enough doses or low enough doses or too low, you can adjust the doses. So that's that again is part of a deep prescribing assessment. So in the case of uh, children, you ask yourself, so is this the right time to describe or deprescribe? Are you seeing these concerning medication practices? Um, or is there a change in the child's life? In JT's example, you know, what if he's in a foster home that suddenly gives him the safety and security that he needs, or he gets involved with uh, rehabilitative therapies that make a difference? He may not need the same number of medications. Or if you see a child getting better, it, it may be a time to deprescribe. Uh, we see some children that they're on five, six, seven medications, but they're still having problems. So what do you do then? What Does it make sense to add an eighth medication in this case? Or do you need to go back to your formulation and ask yourself these questions? What are, what are you treating? Certainly, if you have a child who has a health problem, uh, such as pregnancy, seizures, you reevaluate the medications. So there are some caveats specifically to deprescribing in children with intellectual disabilities, autism, or other their developmental conditions. Uh, the first is that there's very little evidence uh, of efficacy in this population. It's limited to a few medications. You've got FDA-approved indications for autism, for risperidone and aripiprazole, that's it. Uh, you have uh, drug trials that show that uh, risperidone is useful in intellectual disability and disruptive behavior. Uh, there are concerns that medications used to treat depression and autism may actually be contraindicated. And generally, if you treat ADHD symptoms, diagnoses in children with autism, you find that the medication stimulants have about half the efficacy and a higher incident of side effects. So you can still get some benefit, but it's a little bit harder. If you see a child with uh, side effects, um, it may be important to think about it. And in this population, you worry about the anticholinergic load because in my sense, that can lead to constipation or other medical problems, trouble processing. Sedation is another big problem that you sometimes see. In this population, we want to be sure, are they getting the therapies? Are they getting behavioral therapy, uh, applied behavioral analysis, speech therapy, or occupational therapy? Uh, in some cases, has a functional behavioral analysis been taken to understand what the purpose and the function of this behavior might be? And as always, awareness of youth and family voice is important. So. In this population, and in this case, let's say, these are the medications. Ask yourself, what are the indications for each of these medications? You have a five-year-old child, and there's, you know, there's some hesitance in diagnosing ADHD in a population this young, because to diagnose ADHD, remember, you need to have symptoms in two or more settings. And in young children, you often only have one setting of report that's coming to you. So in child psychiatry, we see a big jump in the numbers of children with ADHD after they go into kindergarten and first grade. Um, so which of these medications are treating disorders and which may be providing symptomatic relief? We don't have a firm diagnosis of autism and irritability, so 
argue that the risperidone in this case is probably providing symptomatic relief of disruptive behavior. Uh, we're treating him with insomnia and a couple of a couple of different medications. So you've got clonidine and trizodone, two medications for insomnia. Does he need both? Uh, have you been working with the family to make sure that they understand sleep hygiene, getting the screens out of the room, uh, making sure that he's uh, he's is he sharing a room with other children that are up at night? You've got two alpha agonists, guanfacine and clonidine. Is that necessary? So these are the things I think about. Um, and I want you to think about too. So pay attention to this. Um, so once you go through this deep prescribing assessment, you make a decision. You make a decision whether to continue or stop, uh, to decrease the medication, discontinue it, or leave it alone. That That is a deep prescribing assessment. And then so in the case that you're tapering or lowering your medication, you want to have a plan in place. You want to be sure that you're not stopping the only treatment and support that they have, that there are other things involved. And so go back to your systems of care approach. You need to have a plan in place. You know, if the child starts to have worsening behaviors, how do we handle this? And how do you formulate this occurrence of negative behaviors? Is this new? Is this a recurrence? Is this a uh, something to be concerned about? or not. So in the case of JT, what, what I had recommended to the providers in this case is to consider his role of trauma and attachment and putting an emphasis on developing a secure attachment to a nurturing and safe caregiver, in this case, the foster parent and mother. We're working on the mother's care to make sure that reunification hopefully is going forward. Uh, I'm asking the question, does the child actually need five medications? I can agree that he probably needs medications, maybe more than one, but does he actually need five? Because we don't know side effects of these medications in a five-year-old, especially with polypharmacy. We have him referred to a developmental behavioral pediatrician, so we're hoping to get an autism evaluation and psychological testing. We have case managers that can work with this family to improve educate on sleep hygiene, and wanting, wanting to be sure that we have speech is not a factor in OT evaluation treatments ongoing. So, so this is in place. We'll check back in again with JT in six months and hopefully see some improvement. But um, I, I'm honestly, I'm uh, disappointed at times how hard it is to get children off medications, even when they're doing well. So if we get you to the point of deprescribing where you're gonna start lowering or stopping a medication, I wanna cover this a little bit. You wanna be sure that you're doing this in a very slow, methodical way. Um, slow, what I call logarithmic taper, meaning if you have a dose at 100%, you lower it to 50% of that dose, wait a period of time, maybe four weeks, lower it to 50% of the next dose, and you continue that, kind of add infant until it's finished, and you have safety and relapse planning. So there are certain medications that you may need some specific information about. Um, I do think it's okay to stop stimulants pretty quickly, because you do drug holidays pretty frequently, and it is notable that uh, even in the drug studies, it shows stimulants are effective, which stimulants have a good body of evidence. They are effective and they should be used. But even in these positive studies, up to a third of the population 
in placebo-controlled uh, trials of discontinuation, they can stop a medication without relapsing. So there is that population that you might see. You need to be careful if you're going to stop alpha agonists because you can get into what's known as rebound hypertension. So you want to taper them gradually. This is more of an issue with clonidine and uh, guanfacine than the extended release versions. So a good rule there is 50% every three days. If you have a child on a medications of antidepressants, the SSRIs, you want to go ahead with this slow logarithmic taper, watching for this flu-like discontinuation syndrome you can get that can uh, present as a worsening of irritability and uh, mood. This is least likely to happen with fluoxetine because fluoxetine has a very long half-life. With antipsychotic medications, you want to be uh, sure that you're not going to get into movement abnormalities, withdrawal dyskinesias. So summing up here, uh, there are some benefits of deprescribing. I certainly feel like you're going to get reduced adverse drug reactions and improved compliance because you're going to be working with the families each and every time you do this to ask them what's important to you, what works for you. And you're also going to be fostering the development of other coping strategies, listening to their voice. But there are risks of deprescribing. There is a risk of relapse. And certainly in the certain populations like foster care, you do not want to, you want to try to protect their placements because every time you lose a placement, that's traumatic to a child as well. And so you don't want to do this in a desert where you don't have other psychosocial resources in place or good family members to work with you. So uh, that is a um, something to think about. It's not risk-free. But I feel like we're at a point where we need to we need to look at evidence bases and we need to do controlled trials of this recommendation to understand. Uh, we've looked at this at a pilot population and a pediatric practice. And in our very small pilot, we found that uh, you could deprescribe and it did not lead to relapse. The biggest problem that we had with our pilot is to get busy pediatricians to document that they were doing the work. And so that was a big part of our effort was developing electronic medical record tools that would help make this easy. So in summary, uh, I hope you understand that deprescribing is a discussion between you and your patient and family about the medications that you're taking, what they're used for, should you stay on them, you're thinking about, should you continue them or stop them? And if, if you do that itself, that's a deprescribing assessment. You're gonna be looking at the risk and benefits of these medications. And in some cases, you're gonna be leaving them alone. Uh, you may describe, decide to lower the medications uh, and make sure you do so safely. So there's a website with a QR code that you can use to help do this in a safe way. And I listed some references, uh, some of the articles that I presented today. So I'm very happy to have brought this to your attention.